living the word today. So, every time we open this book, it is a fresh opportunity for God to talk to us. Let's make sure, let's make very sure that we are listening to what he wants to say to us. Livingthewordtoday.com. Look, the message of the Bible does indeed prepare us for eternity, but it also prepares us for the day we are currently living. Welcome to Living the Word Today. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is not only to understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. Matthew 27. You'll find your way down to verse 20, excuse me, 45. It's the story of Jesus on the cross, and there's so many things that factor into this. And I would, I would, I would hate to guess, it'd probably be very difficult to guess, how many times, especially at communion times and other times we're thinking about that, I've, I've shared from the Word about something about the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. It's, it's a regular theme, something we do often. But it's interesting, the more you dig, the more you just kind of get into the text, you kind of just see that there's layer upon layer upon layer and depth upon depth upon depth of truth that God wants to speak to our hearts. And I trust this will speak to your heart today. Look at verse uh, 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You notice Jesus speaks in one language, and then it's translated, and of course translated again, but translated to, so the reader could understand it. So he speaks in Aramaic. It was translated eventually, and some people believe Matthew was originally written in Hebrew, but uh, we have it in, in Greek form, and then we retranslate it into English. But he's, he's making this cry to the Father, this prayer to the Father, because he feels forsaken because he is the sin bearer. However, the part that is interesting for us as he says this in, in this text is he says, Eli, Eli. And notice how the people respond to that part of his cry. Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is, a call, is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. Well, we could talk about the wine and the sponge, and I, I said multiple, multiple layers. I just want to kind of peel back one layer to help us today. And think about this very tiny interlude. If you're reading through the text, you just, just sort of flip the page, right? That's an interesting note. But there's a reason that Matthew and the other gospel writers include in the story that the people that were around the cross reacted a certain way. This man is calling, they thought, for Elijah. Now, there's a couple of different possibilities. One was they knew that he was not saying Elijah, but they, they just sort of mangled his words to say something back to him in ridicule. Or maybe they just sort of misheard, and we understand mishearing. It happens to us with great regularity in our, in our communication. And they really thought he was saying Elijah, but that's not what he was saying. But whatever the case was, their minds went a certain place. It went to a place about this man is crying, calling for Elijah. So some of you already know the answer, I'm sure. But why would they assume 
Elijah is in the picture. Why would they assume that was what he is calling for? Why would they, what, what's Elijah? He's been going a long, long time. They know he was one of the great, we know him as one of the greatest prophets, maybe the greatest prophet in their conception in the Old Testament. But what is that all about? Well, I'm going to give it all away right here, okay? No spoilers, no waiting to the end. I promise you'll stay with me to the end. I'm not going to save a little tidbit to the end or not much of a tidbit to the end, but I just want to get it all out. Here's the reality of what's happened. They saw these things. They, first of all, they saw a man who they thought was a failure and a fraud. They saw a man who was dying for no reason. They saw an end, and that's what they saw. He's a failure and a fraud, dying for no reason, and they saw this as the end of their problems and the end of Jesus. We're not going to have to know about Jesus anymore. We're not going to hear any more sermons, any of this talk, any of this messianic thought among the people. It's over. It's done. However, we people of faith, we people who are the just who live by faith, what do we see? We see a Savior. We see God dying for us, not dying for nothing, but dying for us. And we don't see an end. We see a beginning. We see a beginning, a beginning of hope, beginning of understanding what love is, beginning to understand what Christ is all about, and the beginning of us having a re renewed relationship to God that was broken because of sin that is made possible through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm also going to give this away, okay? I'll, we'll talk about it in the future, but I'm, I'm going to give it all out right here. If you have to sleep, you can start now, but I recommend you don't. How do we respond to this? What's the proper response? May we reflect on his unconditional love. May we reflect his unconditional love. This is unconditional love in the extreme, to the fullest extent. May God push us to love others that way. It's also about forgiveness. I mean, everybody that was at that crucifixion scene was guilty. Everybody that was expecting a Messiah but thought he wasn't the one was guilty. By the way, all of us before a God who is 100% holy, we are guilty as well. And he's granting us forgiveness. May we grant kind of that kind of forgiveness to others. And lastly, may we serve as we have been served. We don't serve to get salvation, but we serve because we have received salvation and he has served us. So let's think about those things together in getting into the text. Now, Getting back to the text in front of us, verse 47. Some of those who said there, when they heard that, said, this man is calling for Elijah. Now, why would they think that? Well, I want to take you back. You can turn there. I've got the verses on the screen to help us move forward maybe a little more efficiently. But uh, you'll also see it in the, on the screen, but also you can turn there. I want you to go to, in your mind anyway, to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, so you don't have to go back too many pages to run into it, okay? But there's a prophecy given by God through Malachi more than 400 years before Jesus ever arrived on this planet. And here's what it says. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Notice something in this text. Notice something. Behold, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. They perceived that the Messiah would come in just one big flash of glory. 
And what he's going to do, he's going to rescue Israel. He's going to rescue them from all their enemies. Everything's going to be perfect, enter a perfect kingdom. What they missed was God had to deal with something prior to that kingdom coming in. And that was the problem of our personal guilt. The problem we had was we needed a savior, the suffering servant that we see in Isaiah 53. <coughs> Excuse me. That's what we needed before the kingdom could come in. So when it says in the text that grateful, that, excuse me, that great and dreadful day of the Lord, that's really, from our understanding, talking about his next coming. Now, put a little placeholder there, and I'll give you the rest of that explanation later. But they had this expectation. Before the Messiah would come, Elijah has to come. So they hear Jesus on the cross saying, Eli, Eli, he's crying for Elijah. Remember, they thought he was a fake, a fraud, and a failure, right? So they assumed this man is so losing it. He is so self-deceived. He is so messed up that he still thinks, even though he's hanging on a cross dying, that he still thinks that he can call out for Elijah to come and save him. That's the reason they say in verse 49, the rest said, let him alone. Someone fills this sponge with this wine, and by the way, it's assumed to, be, to give the condemned some little measure of comfort. But the fact was, they said, no, we don't want to give him that. Don't do that. Let's stop and let's see if Elijah will come and save him. I kind of think a chuckle maybe went through the crowd. <clears throat> I expect that they thought that this was once again showing. Here he is. He, he's at the his last moments of his life, and he still thinks, the fool still thinks, the, the foolish man still thinks that he can cry out for Elijah, and at this last, last late moment he can be saved. Well, they had that expectation. What they missed was, what they missed was not only the fact of Jesus' first coming and second coming. Here's the, here's the real interesting thing. Elijah has already come. They just didn't know about it. Elijah had already come because everything God promises in the Bible, he will fulfill. Even for the first coming, he will for the second coming. I want to take you to verses found in Luke chapter 1 and verse 17. This is John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, getting a visitation by an angel in the holy place in the temple in Jerusalem. And he tells him, even though they are up in years, don't have any children, God's going to give you a son. And he says all these things. And one of the things the angel says to him is 117 of Luke. He, he, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Not literally Elijah but Elijah-like, fulfilling that role. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, as the angel quotes that, that last section is a quote that you will also find in Isaiah chapter 40, which is viewed as a messianic statement by Isaiah. Isaiah says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Here's what's coming. And there's going to be this one who's coming. What they missed was the fact that Jesus already had someone who had gone before him in the person of John the Baptist. Now, the disciples and Jesus had a discussion about this a few chapters back in, verse, in chapter 17 of Matthew. And let me just read how this ends, okay? This is uh, uh, Matthew chapter 7, uh, and the whole extended passage is 1 through 13. I'm just going to give you an excerpt of it here. Jesus speaking. <clears throat> Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come. And they did not know him, for they did to him whatsoever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to, be, to suffer at their hands. The way they treated John, it's about to happen to me. We see it on the page in front of us here in chapter 27. And then Jesus, 
ends his quote and the disciples reach this conclusion. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. God had already fulfilled. They were looking in the wrong direction. God had already fulfilled. They chose to disbelieve. God had already done what God was going to do, but because of the blindness of their eyes and the darkness of their hearts and because they wanted a Messiah to do their bidding rather than to have a Messiah who would come and we do his bidding, they said, this man's crawling for Elijah. What a waste, what a failure. And you know what they thought of him? They saw a failure and a fraud. They saw a man dying for no reason. They saw an end. But when we gather around the table this morning, you know what we see? When we understand the scriptures through eyes of faith, through a heart that says, Lord, I want to obey you. I want to please you. I want to make my life not about me, but about you. I want to honor you. I want to love you. I want to serve you. We see a Savior. And if you're here this morning and you have seen that Savior and you've come to believe in him, we gather at the table partake of communion this morning with joy in our hearts that my sin is gone that forgiveness that 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 we were talking about a moment ago we see that he died for us you understand that this shepherd came to die for the sheep this one was the lamb of god as john the baptist proclaimed the, the lamb of god sent by god to take away the sins of the world has he taken away your sins? Do you see him? Which, which third of that little six-part thing you see on the screen, where do you fit this morning? No, go back. Go back one slide, please. Are you in that first part looking at a failure and a fraud, saying that doesn't matter, that doesn't mean anything to me? Or are you saying, I see a Savior who's dying on the cross in, in this text for me and died for me and rose again the third day? I would simply say to you, if you've not come to that point of faith, Jesus can change everything for you. Now, will your life be immediately struck perfect and you never make any more mistakes? You don't have any struggle with any pain? No. But your eternal destiny will change. And your getting through this life with all of its trouble is going to have a Savior who walks beside you and a Spirit of God who lives inside of you. And the promises of God, as they're revealed in the 66 books of this text we call the Bible, are for you because you're one of God's children. If we could help you take that step of faith, you're welcome to talk to one of us as pastor. Pastor Tim was up here a little bit ago. Pastor Adam's up here. I'll be around. We'd love to talk to you. Maybe you came with a Christian friend. I could have a conversation with you. You need some questions answered. But do not put off your need of the Savior. And then we see a beginning, that changed life. What do we do? How do we respond? We reflect his un May we reflect his unconditional love. By the way, that's hard. I've proved it in my life. And I expect you have proved it in your life as well. It's hard. Because we like to love based on this sliding scale of our perceived value to somebody. Oh, that person, oh, I love them. That person, mm. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't look at us on a scale? There's a few people down there that I'm willing to die for, but that, no, 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 no. There's a few people I want to reach out and interact with but no 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 it's expansive that word unconditional is key and God calls us and I don't claim perfection but I certainly want progress and I want you to have progress that we would just say Lord help me to love as you love 
And if you have trouble, go running back to the cross. If you have trouble, base it on what God has done for you. You have trouble in that, go back there. The same is true of forgiveness. We do that on a sliding scale too. And sometimes we think we forgive it and then we want to just dredge it all up again. May God do in us a work so that we would do what he has done for us. He remembers our sin no more. It's been dropped into the depths of the sea. It's been as removed as far as the east is from the west. Total, complete, blanket, unending, irreversible forgiveness. And then we use these hands, these voices, these feet, these hearts, these minds, all that God has given us to, to serve him. You'll go to the next slide there, please. That's the three things we do. Reflect his unconditional love, forgive as we are forgiven, and seek to be served. Now, let's go back to our text in front of us. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbathani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of them, some of those who stood there when, he heard, when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. Now remember that passage from Malachi is predominantly talking about the next coming of Christ. But uh, I want to take you back to Matthew 17 again. Matthew 17, verse 2. You might turn back there. It's just a few chapters. It'll be on the screen, but here it is. Jesus goes up on a mountain with three of his disciples in tow. And it says there, and I quote, He was transfigured before them. He was changed. Something about his appearance changed. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. And behold... Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Well, mystery solved. Mystery complete. Didn't come in a big, big, you know, public way. But Moses and Elijah comes and talk to him. I wish Matthew would have written down whatever Peter had to say. Peter, do you have any good quotes in that conversation? Could, could John fill us in the blanks and they... that's for the most part a mystery. But the fact was, God fulfilled this promise of the Messiah would be preceded by Elijah. Even in this coming, he will be fuller in the next coming. We'll look at that in just a moment. But Elijah's come. The fact was, when they say, stop, let's see if Elijah will come to save him. No, Elijah wouldn't come to save him. Elijah came in some sense to help prepare Christ to save us by being in a place where he could not save himself. And when the juice runs across your tongue this morning and you taste it and you smell it, be reminded of the gift of his love in the giving of his person. When that bread crunches in your mouth, it's this body who was broken and given for you. And Jesus asks us to do one simple thing, and that is remember. Think about this. Call it back to mind. Let it, let it refresh you. Let it just sort of wash through your being once again. May it just, maybe this thought wash out and flush out the junk of our hearts. This is a good time for us to come and say, Lord, search me and try me, seek me, know me. See if there be any wicked way in me so I can confess it and forsake it and come to this table 
with clean heart. And I encourage you to do that even in these quiet moments. Well, I want to look forward. You remember I said that uh, that great day, that, that phrase day of the Lord really is speaking of Christ coming back to set up his kingdom. I want to share a verse with you, with you. It's found in Revelation chapter 11. Now in chapter 19, Jesus shows up <laughs> riding a white horse, power, destroying his enemies, coming into this world. Prior to that, we find this passage in Revelation 11 where God sends two witnesses and they speak his truth for three and a half years. And by the way, the last three and a half years of that seven-year period we often call the tribulation is, the, is probably the ultimate reality of the day of the Lord coming on this world. But it says this about these two unnamed witnesses. They have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with plagues as often as they desire. He also mentions previous in that chapter, in chapter 11 of Revelation, that they could call fire from heaven to destroy their enemies. All of those descriptions are things that happened in the Old Testament through two men. Well, who was it that called plagues down and turned water into blood? Who was the guy on the scene when that happened? Oh, that was Moses. Same guy that showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Who was the guy that called down fire? Who was the guy that shut up the waters? And this, this, is, this is found in, in the end of 1 Kings. It's Elijah. They're not named. I don't know why God didn't name them. But it seems very obvious that it's Moses and Elijah showing up again and especially fulfilling the prophecy of Malachi 4 that before the Messiah would come, Elijah would come. Now they are struck dead later, rest of the story. But then while the whole world's looking on, God gives them life and they ascend into heaven in front of everybody. If anybody at that time needs visual proof that God is God, they're going to see it with their eyes and still they many, 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 many will reject. The truth of the matter is that they understand, we understand, that they will be coming yet again. It's also interesting that those two had an unusual departure from this earth. Moses went up on Mount Pisgah. He saw the promised land, didn't get to go in. He says he died and God buried him and no one knows where his grave is. Interesting. Elijah in 2 Kings 2, a whirlwind comes and sweeps Elijah into heaven without death. A chariot comes and separates him between Elijah and Elisha, his, his, his successor. He drops his coat and he picks it up and you know the rest of the story or not. You can read it in 2 Kings 2. But he's snatched off his... Both of them have unusual departures. I don't know if that has anything about them coming to the transfiguration or coming before Jesus' coming yet future. I just find it interesting. I also find it interesting in the sixth verse of Jude that Michael the archangel and the devil have a big dispute over the body of Moses. I really don't know what that's about. I just, it's sort of an interesting tip. Something's going on. Because God is going to fulfill his promises to us. Here's what it looked like for them. They saw a failure and a fraud. They saw a man dying for no reason. They saw an end. What do we see? We see a Savior. We see a God dying for us. And we see a beginning. Now, every year at Passover, Jewish families celebrate the Seder, they call it, this meal on the eve of Passover. It goes all the way back to the 14th chapter of Exodus in the Old Testament, and they're fulfilling what God called them, those folks to do. Toward the end of the evening, an event takes place. 
a cup of wine is poured and set at an empty place on the table. No one's to drink it. It's just set there. Then someone goes over and opens the door. The reason, and this is called the Elijah cup. Because at least in symbolism, at least in faith, there's this concept that they hope that Elijah will walk through the door to signal that the Messiah is about to come. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the blindness for many of those folks that have had the truth from the early days of the, of the Bible, they don't understand that this one who comes is the Savior. He is the one who died for us and the one in whom we could have a new beginning and the one in whom all things can be made new. Elijah has come. This crying out for, they thought him crying out for Elijah fits into the text. But it reminds us of three things I believe God calls us to do. And you've seen them twice already. You're going to say it one more time. So that we may reflect his unconditional love. It's my prayer for me. It's my prayer for you that God will move us in that direction. In our experience, in our expression. We've come to the table. We've come to the Savior. We see this new beginning. We see this, this reality that he died for us. We see this reality that he's loved us unconditionally. Move us in that direction. May we forgive others as we have been forgiven in him. And lastly, may we serve as we have been served by our Heavenly Father in the giving of his Son. Just a little bit later, it says in the text, if you still have 47, or, uh, Matthew 27, I should say, open up. It says in verse 50, Jesus cried again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. It tells us verse 57, he was buried. Chapter 28, verse 1 and following, it tells us three days later, that burial place was evacuated because Jesus was alive and is alive forevermore. If you need him as Savior, take that step of faith. If he is your Savior, let's move forward in our love and our forgiveness and our service. And for these next few moments, may God help us. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you will not miss a single episode. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.